Hey, what is up? It's Brian Lofermento here with episode 253 of the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. This is a Strategy Wednesday episode. It is part two of my interview with Kanchan Singh. Kanchan is an awesome friend of mine here in Los Angeles. She is the founder and CEO of Crumbs and Whiskers, which is the largest and most successful cat cafe in the world. Kanchan is an incredible entrepreneur. She went from zero to over a million dollars in revenue in just her second year of running her business. Part one of the interview was episode 252, which came out this Monday, where we really focused on the mindset behind her starting her business, what she went through at the very beginning. And this episode is all about the strategy behind how she launched and grew such a successful business. I'm excited to bring part two of this interview to you. Let's dive in. What is up, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs? I am so excited for part two of my interview with the incredible Kanchan Singh. Kanchan, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me back. Although for you and I, it's just one <laughs> continuous interview, but it's fun. So Kanchan is not only a very close friend of mine here in Los Angeles, but she is an amazing entrepreneur and an even better person. Thanks. So Kanchan is the CEO and founder of Crumbs and Whiskers, which is the largest cat cafe in the United States of America. Can we say the largest one in the world? Probably is. It is probably the largest cat cafe in the world. Not she's factually got, checked. <laughs> she's got two locations. Her first one is in Washington, D.C. Her second one is in the bougie Melrose Ave here in Los Angeles. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the actual strategy behind Conscience Business, how it exploded, how she did $600,000 in revenue in her first year as an entrepreneur and built a seven-figure empire in just her second year. Now you're going on four years, Conchin. Yeah. It's amazing. So I'm really excited to dive into the actual business strategy. Without further ado, Conchin, it's so good to have you here. It's so good to be here. So talk me through your first week as an entrepreneur. I mm -hmm. know, and you talked about it in your last episode, so we won't go too in-depth into it, but you made over $20,000 in your first week as an entrepreneur. What was your launch strategy? And I think it's really incredible how you talked in the last episode about how you use that as a market viability test. Yeah. So talk to us about that strategy that you used. Yeah, so my launch strategy uh, was um, to, it was kind of, I started marketing my business eight months before we launched. Okay. Um, and so there were some big components. There was testing the market like I already talked about with a partner just to see what the reaction was like. It was building a wait list so that when I launched, I wasn't launching to crickets, right? Like I was actually launching to an audience. Um, it was launching a Kickstarter. Um, so getting, you know, people can say that they're excited about your idea, but are they gonna pay money to go? And so with Kickstarter, we were really selling our product just early access. So to see if people would pay for it. Um, the Kickstarter and um, obviously we knew, I knew that all of this would get publicity because it was the first one in DC. Um, and so it was to just get those constant media hits. So that was my strategy was build my audience, get a ton of media hits, get, uh, get validation for the idea, not just 
as people getting excited about it, but with people paying dollars for it. Um, so even though you know we did twenty two thousand on our first day in business, I mean that took eight months of prep. Like that, it's not like I woke up one day and there was twenty two thousand dollars in my bank account. Um, it was a lot of hype building and marketing before um, the launch day. I like that. It's almost like that phrase of you're an overnight success years in the making. It's yes. exactly what it is. Yeah. So I love that. Talk me through, why did you choose Kickstarter as a platform? That's interesting to me that that was your launch strategy. Yeah, um, because I think uh, a few things. So one, funding. That's a question every entrepreneur has. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I get funding? And I asked myself that question too. Um, I didn't want to take out a loan. I knew that. I wanted to retain 100% equity. I knew that. Um, so I didn't, investors were out. Um, and so crowdfunding made sense to me because I was like, you know, my project will get funded if there is the demand for it. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't get funded, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. Um, so Kickstarter was amazing. The reason I picked Kickstarter was it was um, uh, a way to get funding, a way to get validation slash test my idea, and a way to get publicity because um, Kickstarter projects tend to get publicity if mm -hmm. you play your cards the right way. So it was hitting marketing, it was hitting uh, testing, and it was hitting funding. And that's why I did that. Very cool. Let's talk about the actual, I mean, you know me, I'm a marketing junkie. Mm -hmm. I wanna talk about, you marketed your business for eight months before you actually yeah. launched it. What does it look like marketing a business that doesn't exist just yet? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. It's a lot of sneak peeks. So like it's sort of like a very quick announcement of what you're doing and then like here's a little bit of info here's a little bit of info and a lot of um, personal interactions i mean i personally interacted with the people signing up on the wait list mm -hmm. you know it was really important to me that i did that um so yeah that's what it looks like because you still i still didn't know what it would look like so as i found information I just shared it and so everyone was part of the journey and I think that's what made it so cool and why it grew so much because people want it to be um, a part of that journey. That's very cool. So then you launch, you make over $20,000 your first day in business. Talk to me about the actual finances. Conchin, it would blow your mind the number of times newer entrepreneurs ask me the question, Brian, how much money do I need to start? Mm. And you have an even more interesting story about this because I mean you started a physical business you yeah. needed to rent space you needed to hire employees you needed to figure out business logistics of food of cats on top of that it's a whole new layer how much money did it take to actually start your business um, you know I actually still don't know the answer um, I think it was around 40,000 okay but it's insane to open a brick and mortar for 40,000 and this is why I don't recommend this to other people because I wore 10 different hats and I burned myself out that whole time and I've also shared with you how I didn't pay people enough and stuff like <laughs> that so I was cutting corners and cutting corners um, you know I think in terms of how to know how much money you need to start um, at the end of the day, what I like to say, what I like to think of business plans as is like, it's a good guess. And that's just it, you know? And so um, you take sort of your best guess. Um, and that's what I did with my business, is I took my best guess about how much it would take, but give yourself massive breathing room because things go wrong. And so I added 20% on top of that. And cool. I was really glad that I did that. And I came out under budget, but you know, you'd rather have that story than 
a week into your business now you don't have enough to launch. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And especially, I mean, as entrepreneurs, we always say cash is king. Talk to me about what that means for you as a business owner, that cash is king. I mean, you generated $600,000 mm -hmm. in revenue in your first year. How important was it for you to monitor your cash levels? And, and what did, I mean, you were a brand new entrepreneur. That was your first yeah. business ever. What did financial planning mean to you as an entrepreneur back then? Yeah. Um, I mean, cash is everything because when you have cash flowing in, more cash flowing in than you have flowing out, you have a business. Yeah. And when you don't, in my opinion, you don't have a business. You have a hobby. That's what I always <laughs> yeah. tell people. Yeah. You have an expensive hobby. Unless, you know, you're the Amazon or the WeWorks of <laughs> yeah. the world where you have billions in investments. Um, I did not have that. Um, and so... Uh, financial planning for me in the beginning was like again like I said I went very conservative mm -hmm. so I and it's hard because I don't know how many people are gonna be buying my product yeah um, and I my employees are dependent like there's so many moving pieces so I just went conservative and I said this is my budget and then if I make more I'll create more room and so it's very fluid it's not really like here's my plan and now mm -hmm. I'm good it's like here's my plan it's a conservative plan, and I really want to emphasize that. Like, be conservative with it, because um, things seriously go wrong. Like, you, they, they, you're gonna never have an idea what go wrong. Um, give yourself that breathing room, and then check. Like, I do like weekly like pulse checks. Mm -hmm. You know, which is where is this going? So you can course correct. Like, your worst is seven days of something. Um, the, then waking up two months later and being like, oh crap, I'm out of cash. Cool. And when it comes to cash, I think there's really only one solution to generating more cash, and that's generating revenue. Yes. And so it's really easy to start generating cash when you have $600,000 in revenue. So let's address the revenue side of things. Yeah. How did you go in your very first year from $0 to $22,000 in your first day to $600,000 in revenue in your first year? What do you attribute that quick revenue growth to? Um, marketing. Uh, so it was all the pre-launch work that we'd done. Um, we honestly got the city so excited about the cat cafe that by the time we opened, everyone in DC knew there was a cat cafe and they all wanted to go. So it was just that eight months of like marketing work that I did is what generated those revenues. And even now I really uh, watch my brand and my marketing because that is at the end of the day what generates revenues and whatever your strategy is for marketing whether it's uh, social media advertising whether it's you know what i was doing which was very much publicity like yeah. local publicity whatever it is um that really needs to be solid and in place because um, i don't how do you generate revenues without that yeah i i mean trust me as a marketing junkie i couldn't agree more I want to dig into that because you've said eight months a few times now yeah. and it's it's fascinating to me how pivotal those eight months are and, and really how clear those eight months are to you yeah. in your mind. So what did you learn about marketing over the course of the, those eight months? Like what's the secret sauce that made those eight months set you up for success? Yeah, um, so I learned that like one, um, figure out, you know, in the marketing world, it's Purple Cow. Have you heard of yeah, that? Yeah, by Seth Godin. Seth Godin, exactly. Um, what makes your product a purple cow? Because for me, I have a cat cafe. That in itself, it's something that markets itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I was so glad that I had a concept like that because all I had to do was raise my hand and say, I'm opening a cat cafe. And then it, it just traveled. Yeah. Um, so figure out sort of what I learned was, 
you know, you have to sort of figure out why should I look at that? Mm-hmm. Um, why would I? And, and in today's world, especially, we're just over flooded with um, products. Yeah. Right? Um, so that was a big one. And then um, the other big one was like, serve your audience, like serve your customer um, and forget about everyone else. Because like we got so much flack from people because they were like some idiot millennial 24 year old girl wants to start a place with cats. This is where the world is going, you know, and just ignoring all of that and focusing laser focusing on the people that want you and want your product because you can't be everything to everyone mm-hmm. um, and you shouldn't be. You should just be something to a very niche group and like that's what I think makes my business so successful is it's such a niche concept. Yeah, and to bring up Seth Godin again, I mean one of his favorite quotes of mine is everyone is not your customer mm. and I think it's so interesting how tuned in you are to your audience. Where did you get that from? How did you tap into your audience? Yeah, um, I think I am my audience. So like my audience, when they hear Cat Cafe, their jaw drops. And when I heard Cat Cafe, my jaw dropped, you know? So like I am very much building something. And even when I look at my analytics, it's exactly me. Mm -hmm. I'm building something that's for me. Now, what my business mentor always tells me is like, don't project yourself onto them. You know, don't, you're an entrepreneur, they're consumers. You're a producer, they're consumers. There's going to be a lot of mindset differences. but it's still really, really helpful when you're basically creating a product that you wish existed for you and your audience is you, right? Mm-hmm. So you can cater to them. So I sort of always knew what was important to them. And then, like, for example, my, my uh, stores are Instagrammable. But, like, I know that's what my audience wants is they want to go somewhere and then they want to share a picture that makes them cool. And so that it was built that way. So I built the product with my audience in mind, not with what I wanted. But again, like I said, there's a lot of parallels, but with what they wanted, that's what the product is. I love that. And it's it's an important (laughs) approach to business and especially to marketing where you build a business around a customer rather than building a business and trying to find customers for it. So I love that, that difference that you point out there. We haven't even talked about my favorite component of your business just yet though. Do you even know what, what it is? is? That? No. <laughs> it's your branding. I think your oh. branding is incredible. Okay. So talk about that. I mean, I love it because when I tell my friends about what you do, I immediately show them your Instagram and they're like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like who did all that? How did you come up with the brand? And, yeah. and what is a brand to you? I want you to first define it and then answer the oh, question. Oh man, a brand is who your company is. You know, like it's who it is. And, um, my brand is me mm-hmm. um and so in terms of who did that i i very much very intentionally built the brand um because that's the first thing people see mm-hmm. and first impression is just so important so like I, you know to me it was really important to figure out who am i and then what does that look like mm-hmm. um, and reflect that very honestly with a lot of integrity and then stay true to that no matter what um, and that's sort of now now all my branding guidelines and training and I actually have a customer profile called Shay and I'm like this is Shay and Shay loves crumbs and whiskers and if Shay's not gonna like this we're not we're not going in that direction um, so it's defining it that clearly and it's 
it's your soul. I mean, to me, it's your soul. Yeah, I love that. I mean, so my everything in my business is built around Josh. So every time I sit down with a podcast yes. guest, I'm like, hey, what is Josh? Like, what is he wondering from exactly? And I have a six-page PDF that details everything about Josh. I know what music he listens to. I know what kind of car he drives. I know what kind of car he wants to drive. <laughs> I know where he wishes he went on vacation. I have all this information yeah. about Josh. Tell us about Shay. Yeah. So Shay loves cats, obviously. <laughs> um, it's important to Shay. She's fashionable. She has like a high-paying job because my customers, I mean, they're paying to pet cats. So, you know. <laughs> um, she has this high-paying job. She loves doing the cool thing before everyone else. Like, she's got to do it first. And she does it for the gram. Oh, she does it for the gram. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she loves animals. And she loves social businesses. So she loves, she wants to spend her dollars on something that isn't just giving her a product, but something that she can say, this went to a good cause. So all of our cats are rescued from euthanasia. And she loves that. And she wants to see more of that she's of course a strong independent woman um, and i mean i could tell you she, where she shops like you That's said awesome. with josh right like we have a detailed profile too and we really see the brand through shay so let me push you a little bit more on branding though because you said it's everything it's who you are a lot of people mistake a brand for a logo, and that drives me insane. Oh, yeah. What is your brand? Because for you, and I admit, Conchin, I'm so sorry as a friend, I still haven't been to the Cat Cafe, but you know I don't go that far east. <laughs> so I haven't been inside, but I know that I've seen pictures, obviously. Yes. It's beautiful inside. How do you think about all those visual elements of your brand, from your Instagram to your logo to your colors to the interior of your actual Cat Cafes? How do you think of all those little things? Um, yeah, so the brand is, uh, like I said, it's who you are, right? So for my business, they're the stores. Mm -hmm. And so there can't, you know, uh, to me, logo is actually one of the last things I think of. Not that it's not important, but um, if, if you think of your brand as who you are, it's like, what does it feel like? What does it taste like? What does it touch like? What, what, what do you um, feel when you touch, right? What do you see? It's like sort of going through all the different senses and saying what do all of these look like and then very intentionally bringing that to life um of course along with what we talked about which is you know what is shay's perception of this but mm -hmm. even putting that aside it's like i know that my brand is uh, something that'll make you, we call it the fuzzies, that'll give you the fuzzies. So like, it's very, like even when you go in the store, there's lots of like fluffy floofs. Like it's literally that uh, intentional of mm -hmm. like, I want people to feel fuzzy, so I'm gonna have fuzzy materials in my store. And I want fe people to feel, have their, um, feel uh, just warm and happy. Mm -hmm. And so we're gonna tell stories of cats, like in the store, and online so it's just it's connecting everything and thinking of it as like a full sensory experience because that to me is what your brand is it's a full sensory experience awesome um i think i let it slide at first conscience but did you just invent a word on the entrepreneur to entrepreneur podcast did, I? did you say fluffy floofs <laughs> <laughs> i'll let that one slide you definitely said fluffy floofs. i did we'll check the tape but anyways so you already know we're talking to Josh. Like I've yeah. I've spilled the beans to you. That's why I do the podcast. That's why I do everything that I do in my business. So let's talk to Josh who's sitting there. He hasn't necessarily made his first $10,000 as an entrepreneur. 
What advice do you have for him strategy-wise? We talked about mindset in the last episode. What advice do you have for him strategy-wise in building a business that hits six figures and beyond? Yeah, um, test the product. Um, know your market. Like The first thing you gotta do is know your market because you can't test your product without knowing your market, yeah. right? And I'm just gonna put a huge disclaimer in there is that when you say test your market, you mean test purchase intent. And the only way to test purchase intent is with purchases. Yes, 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 for sure. Um, I think you can still test uh, sort of what I did initially, which was the landing page and just see the mm -hmm. reactions. Like, I think that if you still don't have anything to uh, test purchase intent with, you can still go that route. But then when you get to that stage when you can test purchase intent, mm -hmm. you absolutely should. Um, so know who your market is. Uh, I crap. That was I forgot my own one. Um, <laughs> know who your market is. Test test with your market. Um, know to me, it's really important to like have sort of all your. Once you open a business, it's a whole world, right? So like, know your funding. Know your marketing plan. Like not like writing business plans, but just know the strategy in all the different areas and then be willing for something else to happen. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I didn't realize referrals would be such a huge part of my business and now they are because everyone kept saying, I thought people would say, I heard about you through the Washington Post, but everyone said, I heard about you through my best friend. She loved it, you know? And so we were like, oh, we need to focus here. Um, so be willing to be wrong, but still have a plan. Um, and uh, the last one is just to, cash flow you know like that's the fastest way you go out of business is you run out of cash so know your cash flow and be conservative yeah I love that all very sound advice no matter what level of entrepreneurship you're at I want to talk more about marketing obviously yeah. you already know that about me because you said that for eight months you were hyping it up yeah. and here's an interesting thing though is it's like that old cliche if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it doesn't make a sound same thing with your business. So yes, you can hype it, and I've seen entrepreneurs do this, where they post for months on their personal Facebook and all over the place, like, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing, and, and there's a fine line between spamming and hyping. Yes. How did you actually find the people who cared about it? So I know you talked about partnering up with the Animal Society. The Humane Society, yeah. The Humane Society. What else did you do to get in front of eyeballs? Because mm -hmm. if you're not getting in front of eyeballs, nothing you're doing matters. Yeah. Um like I said, I really think my product, I built a product that is viral in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so there, there's two components. One uh, was building a product that uh, was just naturally people would talk about once I got in front of eyeballs. And, and like I said, I got in front of eyeballs through two. Benefit to somebody else, like I really think if your product benefits somebody else, they're going to market it, mm -hmm. right? They're going to talk about it. Uh, benefit, and with us, it was the Humane Society, which is a huge organization. Yeah. Um, benefit them and leverage their platform, because that's what I did, was leveraging. I had no platform. So in terms of how did I get in front of eyeballs, the, the real answer is once I got in front of eyeballs, it spread because I was viral. But how I got there in the first place is by benefiting somebody else, providing value to them, and then leveraging their platform. Yeah, that's interesting. One thing I really like about the way that you do business is you already talked about caring about your customer. So let's say I walk into the Cat Cafe tomorrow. Obviously, you're gonna get my name, you're gonna get my email address. 
What's that user experience like? What am I going to see from Crumbs and Whiskers after my experience? Uh, the cutest freaking cat photos and like <laughs> you're going to see that that cat that you interacted with while you were at the cat cafe now has a home and oh my god, look at them. They're doing so well in their home and then you're going to get invites to like you're going to be the first to know when we put kitten parties on sale and for example, this month uh, we let people write their ex's name in like a clean litter box and then at the end of the month our cats shit in it, right? So like... Now we have to censor <laughs> this episode too. <laughs> really bad. I'm looking bad at this. Um, so you sort of are in the know, but not in a spammy way, in like a genuine like, hey, here's how our cats are doing, we know you care, you know? Here's something you can do, get your ex's name in this litter box. So it's fun and it keeps them engaged. I love that. And how do you come up with those new ideas? Um, I have a very creative team who comes up with a lot of ideas and then we listen to our customers. Like, they just give us the ideas. They're like, hey, we should have a singles night or the, the ex's name in a litter box actually came from a customer. She was like, God, I hate Valentine's Day. I wish there was somewhere I could my ex. <laughs> See, I censored myself this time um, for you. And I was like, yeah, there should be somewhere. And then I was like, litter box, right? So um, listening to your customers and listening to your team members, like your employees. That's awesome. You've definitely been a wealth of information. The last business strategy topic that I want to talk about is scaling. Scaling. It's an interesting, interesting term in the world of entrepreneurship because mm -hmm. I think everybody misuses it. And I die laughing, Conchin, when I hear entrepreneurs who haven't even made $10,000 talk about scaling their business. Mm. And maybe you have a different perspective than I do on this, but I think that at first, you have to make your first 10K, your first 20K, your first 30K, before you're even worrying about scaling, because you have to check the market viability. But then, of course, you reach a point where, to make more money, you either have to put more hours in or be more efficient when it comes to scaling. Yeah. What does scaling mean to you, and, and what sort of scaling challenges have you faced as an entrepreneur? And, and I know, and I'll, I'll help you guide where I want to see this answer go, is I know we've talked about before, struggling to meet demand. Yeah. So, go for it. Talk about yeah. scaling. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so the way I did scaling was, again, a way I don't recommend. Like, I've really learned through some pretty bad <laughs> mistakes. Um, I scaled, I was thinking about scaling from the get-go. And here's what happens when you do that, right? Like, it comes back to focus. Mm -hmm. Now your focus is split between creating a business that can, that's here and then scaling it to somewhere else. And it can be helpful because you can create it in a way that it's then easy to scale, uh, but you have to be very aware of it and conscious of it. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I opened my second store a year after, a little bit over a year after the launch of my first, and I realized very quickly I, ha I wasn't ready for it. Um, everything was a mess, right? And so the way I see scaling now is get something together that's amazing and only after that point should you even think, oh, I'm gonna scale this. Mm -hmm. um, and get, get a product, a system, like systemize everything, have your product selling to your point, like make money. Because here's the thing, if it doesn't make money here, it's not gonna exactly. make money here. Um, and, and it blows my mind how many people are just going through cash. And then the business event inevitably fails because Again, if, you, if I didn't make money with you and I had one customer, I'm not going to make money with 500,000 of yeah. you. 
you know, and I got to figure out this. I got to figure out how do I make money off of you. Of course, there's efficiencies in that, but that shouldn't be, that should increase your profit margin. That shouldn't create your profit margin. Yeah. I like that. That's a really healthy perspective on that. So as we are wrapping up the interview, this was so much fun for me, especially not only as someone who gets to interview an awesome entrepreneur, but also as a friend. Yeah. And I know I put you on the spot on Instagram a little bit earlier, but I love ending interviews with the giant question of what's your best advice for the Joshes of the world? Yeah. What's your best advice for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who haven't yet taken action and hit their first 10K in revenue? Yeah. Um, so it's like I said, it's... Uh, you know starting anything to prove something is a dead-end road and i've learned that the hard way um and i know entrepreneurship is so glamorized in our world now you know and so my advice is don't start a business to prove something to the world to yourself whatever start a business if you love it if you love your product your own product um and you're passionate about it because so much is gonna go wrong that this isn't gonna sustain you the proving yourself is you're gonna quit um, what's gonna sustain you is love and so you know if, if you don't have that pure love and if it's coming from any other place then don't do it awesome Conchin, I absolutely love it let me close this episode by first of all saying thank you so much for thank coming you. on thank you so much and where can listeners and viewers mm -hmm. learn more about you and your business um yeah so crumbsandwhiskers.com at crumbs underscore whiskers on instagram and then i am at conchinsing14 oh i should spell that huh? all good we are going to link <laughs> to everything and it's up on your screen right now so you can find Conchin on all sorts of social media channels so Conchin, again thank you so much thank you all right, now I don't know about you, but those two interviews were so much fun and packed with so much value. Conchin has an incredible story about how she started Crumbs and Whiskers. I mean, she was flying back to the United States from visiting in Thailand, came up with her entire business plan on the airplane napkins. That's incredible. Conchin is such a great entrepreneur and I'm so appreciative of her taking the time out to share her story and share this value with you guys, the podcast listeners. And on that note, what's even cooler to me about entrepreneurs like Conchin is that they are always so giving, they're always so sharing, they love helping other people because they understand that a rising tide lifts all boats. So Conchin is actually a member of the entrepreneur to entrepreneur community on Facebook. If you haven't joined just yet, you definitely want to be there. You want to hang out with entrepreneurs like Conchin. You want to hang out with entrepreneurs like myself and so many other entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs at all different levels. So head on over to letmeinthegroup.com. That's letmeinthegroup.com. Fun fact, I'm going to release the video to this podcast interview in the Facebook group only. First time ever, go to letmeinthegroup.com.